Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Lynette Baco. Welcome to the podcast, Lynette. Thanks for the offer. Um, Lynette and I became acquainted. She sent me a Facebook message and kind of opened up to me about her story. And she's calling in over the phone. We're not doing as many in-person podcasts. Um, in the new pandemic world. But let me give you an overview of Lynette so you'll know the podcast you're about ready to listen to. Um, by the way, Lynette and I offered a prayer, and we hope this podcast is helpful for you. And and um, we both hope that the things that Lynette shares will give you insights into um, the road that you or others may be walking. Lynette and I are about the same age. We're both um, somewhere between 55 and 60. Um, Lynette served a mission. Um, she also attended at BYU, and then about age 25, she came out as gay and um, was in a long-term relationship for about eight to 10 years. We'll talk about that. That relationship ended with a woman, and then she'll talk about kind of darker times, and then she'll talk about a feeling of returning to the church. Um, which Lynette has done. Lynette now is, um, and let me just mention during that period of time, Lynette did have a baby. Um, that that young baby now is a teenage boy and is a wonderful son for Lynette. And Lynette is returned to the church. She's been through the temple, an active Latter-day Saint. And she'll talk about her journey being gay. I, and Lynette will kind of end with a feeling um, and she's been on this road a long time, you know, sort of, is she gay? And was that her authentic self or a, a stage she went through? And I recognize that every story is different. Um, Lynette is not sharing her story to, to sort of have others say, well, you ought to do what Lynette did. Uh, maybe you really aren't gay or maybe you, you know, this is not your authentic self. But I've learned to honor everybody's stories. Everybody's stories are valid and important. And I've learned that, you know, Lynette's brave enough to share her story. So I hope that she feels my support and your support as she's walking a, a unique road in the very best way she knows how. Um, is that okay for an introduction, Lynette? Yeah, sounds great. So, um, where do you want me to start? You want me to start with my background? Yeah, tell us, up and... yeah tell us about your background. So I'm a California girl. <laughs> I was born in Venice and raised there, rode a skateboard, 501 jeans, those t-shirts, all that. And then we moved to the Bay Area. And just recently I moved here to Utah. So, um, and I started out, well, so my family growing up, um, my parents weren't members. Um, and my my parents had pretty bad marriages. So my dad and my mom were always fighting, and they ended up splitting up when I was pretty young, like four. And then my mom joined the church. Um, so coming into the church at that point was, like for me, without growing up with a lot of stability, was a really good experience and I had some really cool spiritual experiences as a kid um, my mom got remarried 
and they fought all the time too. So <laughs> it was just crazy, but I had the church and I ended up going to BYU um, and on a mission. And so that's kind of my growing up part as far as my dating part. Where did you serve um, your, where did you serve your mission, Lynette? Portugal. I was actually, my brother and I went at the same time and um, we were called to two different missions in Brazil and we ended up in the same mission in Portugal because of visas. Because of visas. Um, yeah. So it was pretty cool. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, he was my district leader at one point. That's and just for our listeners know, Lynette's name, let me spell it for you, L-I-N-N-E-T-T-E, and Bako is spelled B-A-K-O-W, just so everybody can visualize your name. I like to do that when I'm listening to people. Thanks for your mission in Portugal and for your service, and um, I love the way the church became your refuge. That certainly is true for me and and many other members of our church where the church is our refuge from the world, from difficult at times family situations, even parental situations. And that's really the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to provide a refuge. So I love that word you used. Um, yeah, keep telling your story. So my dating experience, um, I had, I think, pretty normal crushes on guys. Like I had couple crushes on guys in junior high and then I had uh, sort of my first boyfriend and he was a tennis player and he would walk me to class and carry my books and all that stuff um, but I didn't much like kissing him um, and then I had another boyfriend as a senior who took me to the prom and I kind of liked him a little more but he was a little wild. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I kind of had pretty normal dating experiences, I think. And then I went to BYU. I continued to date. But what what happened outside of that, like in, you know, even when I was having these dating experiences, I was also having these crushes on women, which I didn't really realize were crushes. They were just, um, I was just, pulled to these women at different times. Like when I was a junior in high school, this new woman had a locker, a new her girl had a locker near mine. And I'm like, wow, who's that? I need to get to know her <laughs> kind of thing, which I never really experienced with guys. With guys, it was more, um, he's cute. It was more like an intellectual thing. Like that's what I'm supposed to do. And he's cute and he's a football player. So I should like him kind of thing. And then when I got to college or to BYU, it was even more like my crushes on women became more, um, uh, I had more feelings about them and guys kind of stayed the same. You know, I, I date some guy that, that I thought I should date or, you know, and I like them fine as friends and stuff. I really have good male friends and enjoy them. But as far as my emotional feelings, they didn't really come up. And then on my missions, I did fall for one of my companions. And that's when I started to realize, oh, this feels very different than, you know, my dating with guys. And I mean, it was like, you know, I always wanted to hug her. I wanted to be doing 
scripture study with my head in her lap. I just wanted to be touching her. And, but, all, you know, everyone, no one was gay besides me, so nothing ever went anywhere. Um, but after my mission, when I got back to BYU, I started to realize that something was different, that I was kind of forcing these male relationships or the, you know, the guy dating I was doing, and it just didn't feel the same as how I was feeling about um, women. And that's when I started to think, well, you know, I knew, I knew what homosexuality was, but I didn't really know, no. I mean, I don't think we really know what sexuality is when we're young. We think we know because we see all these pictures, I think, but I didn't really know. So after I left BYU is when I started my process of coming out. And I actually read a book and saw a movie, um, that movie, The Color Purple. I think that was the first time I'd ever seen, and that might have been the first time in, you know, um, movies when we saw two women kiss on screen. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's certainly the first time I ever saw it. I was like, wow. Like, I, I didn't even realize that was possible, I guess, to some degree. You know how you know it, but you don't know it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. You're doing a great job of telling your story. Yeah. So anyways, at that point, I knew it. Um, once I, you know, I could relate, like my feelings related to that. Um, and I was going to the young adult ward there and, you know, after BYU, away from BYU. And I met someone in the young adult ward that actually started dating. Um, and she was, she was, I, I would say, you know, I never even asked her if she considers herself bi, but she definitely had some experiences with women. And anyways, I just fell head over heels for her. And like, I could like within two or three months, I could imagine a life with her. I could, um, you know, I just wanted more and more and more. So that was kind of the feeling of knowing that I wasn't straight, I was gay. Um, and it was really pretty compelling. Um, so another thread to that is, you know, when I was still at BYU, I would think, well, I could just, you know, not engage in that kind of life. And I think at BYU, that was easier to think about. But once I got out into the real world where, you know, people are not, you know, they're not hanging out in a college atmosphere. They're dating and doing life, right? It, got, it became harder to think about that. And, you know, I talked to my bishop. So what happened was is I went out to California and came out to my sister. And this person I was dating went in to talk to the bishop and kind of said that's not what she wants. And, and so when I came back, um, I talked to the bishop for several times. And he asked me a lot of questions. He was really very kind. Um, and he ended up saying to me, well, I can see you're going to go and figure this, figure this out. And that's what I did. I went and figured it out. So I, you know, stopped going to church and went and figured it out. Basically, that's how I came out. Um, inside myself, I felt 
you know, I really love the church. Um, I had a really strong, strong testimony and witness that God loved me and that Jesus Christ was, you know, the best person to follow. And, you know, that there's a lot of truth here. You know, I was a missionary and I believed it. Um, but I didn't really hold those as competing interests. I don't know if that makes sense. I mean, I knew the church didn't um, approve of homosexuality. And I still thought that I could have my feelings for the church and also be gay or have my feelings for God and also be gay. So that's kind of how I treated it as two separate things in my head. I didn't really know how they impacted each other. And at that point, that was in the late 80s. I don't think the church really talked that much about it. So I didn't really think the church even understood it. And people may feel that way today still. Um, so I just thought I'll go figure it out. And that's just kind of how I felt about it. Does that make sense? It does. In some ways, that's, I guess, what our heavenly parents said when they send us out of more pre-mortal life is, you know, this is your experience to go figure it out. And so I, I like what your bishop said. I don't think your bishop was saying, you know, I think he was just giving your agency to figure out your future. And maybe that's a gift and great advice at times for all of us. So um, it seems like that advice is, has been good advice. Yeah, I think um, it made me feel very, I wouldn't say peaceful in going and figuring it out, but kind of like, you know, he let me. He said, this is something you you can do, or, or I don't know if he said I should do, but, you know, it was, it was my prerogative, I guess, to go and figure it out. Yeah, um, I like just to comment also what you said is, you're pretty honest about, I don't know how the church and being gay, I can do both, but you kind of separated the church from God a little bit there. And I call it a double bind. That's actually Bryce Cook's language for, he has a couple of gay sons and he said, they have a testimony of the church, but they would love to have a life partner. So they're in this double bind where they can't do both. And he said, you know, I'm going to take the double bind off as a parent. They can be in our family and be full members of our family if they go down that path. And and I think there's also, but they can also have a relationship with God. I, I've, I recognize that, you know, it's hard. You're right. It's You can't fully participate in the church if you're in a same-sex relationship. But I do believe God loves all of his children and wants to have a relationship with all of his children. And there's not a double bind there. Um, so I think you've done a good job of articulating that. So, yeah, keep yeah, telling I your had, story, Lynette. So another, kind of another thread to that is, you know, I had this um, experience when I was very young in primary. I was nine, and I was singing in a primary chorus. And we were singing in a state conference, um, for, and Elder Peterson was there. And I remember it like it was like yesterday. Um, and we sang this, you know, I'm a child of God. And and I felt really good about that. But then when he got up to speak, he had us all stand up again. And he told us, you know, how much 
Heavenly Father loves each of us. And I could just feel Heavenly Father putting his arms around me, not physically, but just like I was enveloped in this love. And so that was a huge experience for me. I wouldn't like have been able to tell of that experience and relate it very closely to what I was going through at 25. But when I would think about like going the rest of my life without love, and I would just break down and cry because it was painful to think of that because I'd grown up without love. My mom was really not available to me emotionally because of these bad marriages and there was always chaos. And so our emotional needs didn't really get met. And so to think of going the rest of my life without love and not learning how to love or be in a, an adult loving relationship was really, really difficult for me to think about. And I felt like God, you know, God loved me, so he wouldn't ask me to do that. That didn't make sense to me. It's kind of how, that's how I thought about it when I, I was, when I came out. I love that. So, so I, I did, I went and figured it out. I took off my garments and stopped going to church and dated and had fun dating for a few years. And then I met, um, the woman that, that I spent quite a few years with, um, Emily. And it was amazing. I got a lot out of that relationship. I think, you know, there was, well, in hindsight, I mean, I just loved being with her. Um, but what, the interesting that ha- thing that happened when I got into a relationship is then my conflict came up. Now she she wanted she really wanted to get married. It was like right when the first states and countries were legalizing gay marriage. I think we could have gone to Denmark and got married or something like that, and then Massachusetts and then Hawaii. I can tell you how they rolled out because it was all part of my relationship. Um, so that's what she really wanted, and then you know my conflict with the church came up because it had been. It hadn't been resolved, basically. So we had a great time, and there was this conflict, and I was really pretty tortured over it. Not with anybody in the church, really, although I had gone, um, I don't really remember the timing, I had gone to Salt Lake to talk to someone about this issue, about he was the head of social services on homosexuality or something, I don't know. And he basically just told me, yeah, we don't know a lot. That's basically what I remember from that discussion. Um, and so I was really at odds. Like, do I commit? Do I not commit, even though it's great? Um, and I kind of had this sense that, for me anyways, I was there to learn something. I don't know. And it wasn't supposed I, I kind of had that weird sense. But then... I really, really loved her, and I wanted to be with her. Anyways, I had this three or four years in, I had this spiritual experience where um, through my struggle where God said, you know, he told me that he loved me and that he blessed me. I don't, you know, that was the gist of what I felt. And that let me relax quite a bit to be there and just be there. 
and we had some really good years together after that. And then, and then I started to feel like um, the relationship wasn't maturing the way I wanted. There was a way our emotions got hooked together in a way that it felt to me like we weren't growing emotionally. Um, and I don't know if that was just me and her or, I, you know, I didn't know how to sort out as much like what were relationship things, what were maybe because it was a gay relationship thing made it a little harder or what was me, like what was my baggage? Um, all those things were hard to sort out, but our emotional stuff got really entangled. And then the other thing that happened is the sexuality kind of um, stopped working for me. We say it that way. That's the best way to say it, I guess. It's okay. Um, and I could explain that more, but I don't know if that's really appropriate. But it's just like that's there's fun. a place where I felt like we should be able to go and grow together sexually. That wasn't happening. And that came from... That came from um, the month before I left BYU. I went and saw, I went to a um, state conference. It was a state conference where Elder Carmack spoke. And he talked about the physical feelings in relationships or in, in the marriage, physical feelings and the union of a marriage and how that translates into eternity is something I've never heard before and it like really registered in my mind or like it was powerful like a, the Holy Ghost just sunk it into my heart like there's just this quality to a relationship um, that can last forever and the sexuality in our relationship I didn't feel like works for that is the only way I can say it without being Anyway, that's how I'll say it. <laughs> that's that's fine, Lynette. Well said. Does, it, does that give understanding enough? I think that's fine. Think? I think as you continue to tell your story, that'll continue to be clearer. So yeah. So, anyways, I was I was feeling like our relationship wasn't working in several ways, and I couldn't. I still had this division in myself about committing. So we broke up after eight years. Um, that's when we broke up. And that's where I kind of, that was really hard. I kind of spiraled, uh, you know, and then I was trying to find something to make me feel better. And I was going out with all these different women and trying to find, you know, I went through these series of relationships um, for about six or seven years, just trying to figure out, you know, to find that magic, whatever I was looking for. I don't know. Um, anyways, I don't know if I was being unrealistic or what, but I was just looking for something that felt like it would grow, like a glimpse, you know, that it would grow over time. And I didn't, I didn't really find that. And I think, you know, some of that is the way the gay community is in general. I don't mean specifically, but in general. Um, there isn't a lot of commitment. There are people that commit, and I do know people that are well committed and well suited. I know of a couple, and 
and they seem to have something magical. It's just that, you know, I didn't find it. So after seven years of kind of going through personal ads and from bar to bar and, you know, just feeling like it wasn't going to work, I I was starting to feel like it wasn't going to work. Um, so a couple things happened to kind of change my direction. When I was about 40, um, one, I always wanted to have a kid. I always wanted to have a family, but um, I was dating someone that was doing in vitro, so I decided to do in vitro and have a kid. And I had had this, um, when I had been thinking about having a kid like a year and a half earlier, um, I had this experience where um, a voice said to me his name, because I was trying to think of names, and it told me Jason Alexander. And I go, oh, okay, I'm going to have a boy. (laughs) So I knew I was going to have a boy. That was pretty weird. And then, so I did, I had a boy. I got pregnant on the first shot and had a boy. That was one thing that changed. Um, Another thing that changed was I had met someone else that was a Zen Buddhist. And so I started practicing Zen Buddhism. I started meditating and like hardcore, it's hardcore meditation. You face the wall for 45 minutes in silence. And um, that really, like, I had all this, you know, feelings of things not working and not knowing where to go and being kind of lost, basically. Not, like, without confidence lost, but just, like, I didn't know what to do. And so when I started meditating, um, after a couple years, I started praying in my meditations, and I started reconnecting, I think, with my spiritual self, which had gotten pretty lost in all that. So we're talking, um, yeah, 15 years of being away from the church. And then another thing happened, which was my sister read a book about just loving people, like not judging and just just loving. And she decided that that's what she needed to do for me. She needed to just love me. And we'd kind of had a, a falling out over some Thanksgiving dinner event or something where she had uninvited me because I wanted to bring my partner. And um, once I got pregnant, I called her up and it was just different. She treated me different and I was different. And we started, you know, having a really good relationship. And um, subsequently, once I had my son, I, I moved up by her and she really supported me in that. And I think that was key um, in terms of like, you know, family support is key, I think. No matter how it turns out, um, because I think families have to listen to the spirit too and do the right thing for their families. Um, it was so important in me reconnecting with love and God and my son and all these things that started changing me. I love what your sister did. 
Um, I, that's what a beautiful part of the story. And I, I recognize this non-agenda love that, you know, you're worthy of love just because you're Heavenly Father's daughter. And if I'm your sister, um, hopefully, and it sounds like she's there, she just said, you're worthy of love because you're he- Heavenly Father's child and you're my sister. And I'm going to just love you because you deserve to be loved. And my love for you is not based on an agenda. It's just based on love. And I've learned that when I show that to people, often then that's when, if, they're, if they come to terms that something needs to change in their life, they're more likely to do it because they just feel better about themselves as they are the recipient of love. I think they feel better about themselves and then they feel more maybe worthy or willing to pray to God and have a relationship with God because they just feel more love. Um, and God's able to reach them and give them guidance. So I love what your sister did there. I love the book she read, and um, it's a journey for me, and I've certainly learned to try to do better in that space because I think it's the example that Christ shared in his ministry. Um, I think that's the really high law. Everything I read in the New Testament is about the law of love and reaching out in love and leaving judgment to our Savior. So I love that part. I love that you had a child, this wonderful son. I guess his name's Jason. Um, yep. I don't know if you call him Jason or Alexander, but sounds like a great young man. And I love the, your sister's role in taking you in at a really key time. And I also recognize there's lots of ways, and you've kind of had a couple to live life out of the church. One is, um, and just kind of my pragmatic mind, I don't, invite anybody to live outside the teachings of our church, but I recognize some roads are better than others. And you kind of had a couple roads. One was a a long-term kind of serious monogamous relationship. And one was, you know, more of um, the gay bars and less of a, and I, I don't know what to label that as it's. um, And I recognize that you did better um, in the, in a long-term monogamous committed relationship than, with multiple partners in the gay bar scene. And I, and so I, I recognize that while both paths aren't in the doctrine of our church, sometimes people do better if they are going to go down that path to be in a committed long-term relationship where there's a foundation of trust, communication, honesty. And I recognize when that ended for you, as you said, you were devastated because there was much good there and you really cared about Emily, I believe is her name. And, and I've, I mourn when any relationship breaks up where two people have tried to make something work and I just mourn and try to recognize there's pain there. And even though that may increase the likelihood you'll come back to the church, I try not to sort of link those two together. I think I'll first just mourn that you've had something that was really important to you that ended and that you feel that and that I should kind of mourn that with you um, and let you make your way forward the best way you can. Are you okay with all that, Lynette, or do you want to add anything or subtract anything? No, that sounds good. That's um, um, one thing about my sister just deciding to love me. Um, you know, when someone's judging you, there's a resistance. So you're having to build up a resistance, and they're giving a resistance, right? And it makes it hard to move forward in any direction, really. Like, you kind of have to get away from it, I think. But when you let down the resistance and you just let someone, you know, you just love someone, 
then they can just be. Does that make sense? It does. So and... it just it took a lot of pressure off of me to be anything else, and I could just be and evolve and figure my life out. I agree. I like your word resistance, Lynette. I've I've yeah. recognized that um, if you feel like perhaps you've made the wrong choice. Um, and if you feel somebody in your circle that's really judging you, I think you're going to dig your heels in more and res and feel more resistance to sort of validate what you may deep inside feel is your wrong choice versus um, if you feel no judgment from that person, you might it might be easier for you to open up and say to this person, you know, I'm not sure I've made the right decision um, because that resistance isn't there and the need to sort of validate your choice. And we all, we all in mortality have choices we regret. Um, and, and I think sometimes to get out of a bad choice and to move forward in a thoughtful way, we have to have loving people around us that we can open up to. And they don't say, I told you so, or they don't say, oh, it's new, that was a mistake, or I couldn't, I could see you weren't happy and just show love and try to help them move forward as a trusted friend without sort of elevating themselves with sort of like I knew, or I told you so, or I've, you know, I always knew you'd come around. And I think that creates a little bit of shame and resistance to use your word. So I love what your sister's yeah. done. It's an example for all of us. Yeah. So once I moved up there, I still dated for a couple of years, but now I had a son and an extended family and, um, it was even, I think, more difficult to find someone that wanted all the things that I wanted because <laughs> I wanted uh, a bigger degree of spirituality and connection and I wanted family now. And um, I'm not saying that's impossible to find, but it's not the norm outside the church. It might be more the norm inside the church, but... You know, I was dating in California, all non-members. I did go out with one Mormon girl, but she was the one that called it serial monogamy. <laughs> Although she's finally married. So anyways, digressing. So after about a couple of years of dating up there in Sacramento, that's where I was in Sacramento, um, I decided come back to the church I decided I wanted to raise my son Christian for sure I mean I'd been down a lot of different religious roads when I was away from the church and and I'd been to a lot of different Christian churches as well and I wasn't like it didn't have to be the LDS church but I thought well you know it would make the most sense my sister's here she's LDS all my all his cousins will be LDS so I'll just do LDS. And so I started going back to church. And it wasn't easy. I'll tell you that. It was not easy. It was very uncomfortable at first, like for maybe a year and a half. I, at first, I didn't want to wear dress. Like I thought, ugh, all that. So I wore pants. And, you know, a lot of times I was uncomfortable with things people said. But, you know, I just, took it all in and listened and, you know, took, I had been to Al-Anon for a few years. And so, you know, they have that saying, take what you like and leave the rest. That's basically how I approached it. And 
and looking back on it, I would say, you know, take what you can understand and what you don't understand, just leave it. That's what, that's the way I would say it now. It's like, if you don't understand it, then, then it, you don't have to get worried about it. <laughs> and, but I started thinking, you know, okay, I can keep that commandment. You know, someone would give a command, uh, talk on what I don't know, tithing or whatever. Well, okay, I can do that. And I had always enjoyed paying tithing. So I started paying my tithing and then, someone would, you know, just kind of one by one, I'd start keeping the commandments, not drinking, doing the word of wisdom. Um, and I was never big into any of that anyways, but, um, and I was, I have to say, like, I was starting to be really happy. It was weird. Like I'd be driving down the road and I would get these like, Wow, life is great. And um, my bishop would talk to me occasionally and say, you know, we want you to have a job or a calling. And uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And I'd come out to him. I told him my story. And he was super respectful. Like, I didn't have to come in and confess to him. He just wanted me to be involved. And I was like, he, the first thing he wanted me to do was, um, do the Cub Scouts. I'm like, I don't want to do the Cub Scouts, but you know, I'm gay. <laughs> like, I'm not supposed to be scouting. <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of funny in my mind. And But he did know, so I don't know. So I just kind of went with it, but I said no. And then he finally got me to do visiting teaching. Um, and I was visiting teaching this one lady, and she had returned to the church, I think, like, three or four years before me. And I asked her, so why did you return to the church? And she says, I was tired of being lonely. I was like, what? She had a husband and a family and all this extended family, like lonely. And then I was thinking about how I was feeling, you know, just compared to five years earlier when I was out doing gay bars and all that. I was like, wow, yeah, that's right. I'm not feeling any of that anymore. I'm not feeling any of that darkness. I'm not feeling any of that aloneness. I'm not feeling any of that lack of not having, like, I felt God in my life. And so I didn't have a lack of anything else, which is very different from when I was 25, when I just felt like, oh, how can I not go without love? It was just, it was like a whole different perspective and I had more family in my life and I had my son so it made a big difference but I was feeling really happy I was feeling really connected to the spirit in lots of ways um I gave my first talk and my son actually my son said to me when I, when he was about four or four and a half he said mom are you ever gonna go up there because I hadn't been up to you know say anything at the pulpit is he going to ever go up there? And like a couple weeks later, the bishop asked me to give a prayer or something. It was cool. And then finally I bore my testimony and I gave a talk and then got me to teach Sunday school. Yeah, Sunday school. I think I taught eight-year-olds. So that's kind of how it went. Um, and then I decided I wanted to go back to the temple because I had really, really loved the temple when I was, when I was, him pre-missionary I guess and but I also understood that meant I was 
not ever going back to gay life. So I had to really think about that. And it wasn't a hard decision so much as because I was really happy. I felt, well, I didn't find even this much happiness in gay life. So I think I'll just, I'll go with it. I'm okay to give up gay life at this point because I didn't find what I was looking for. And um, I had this really good experience with my state president. So I had never met him before. I went in to get my couple recommend interview and he asked me all about being gay and at the end he asked me so do you think your spirit's gay I thought about it for a second and I said yeah because all of that is together your spirituality your emotion your physical desire all that like it's integrated um for me that's how I felt I still felt I was gay and that I would be committing to being celibate, which I was okay with. Um, and he promised me that I would be able to understand it since I went back to the temple, that I would be able to understand my life and my journey and where I was going, basically. <clears throat> I didn't think he said I would understand that I'm not gay. I just thought he'd understand my path and my value to God and, um, you know, what I'm supposed to do in my life and what's the meaning of it all as far as, you know, being gay and not being, like, you know, straight like everyone in the church or most people in the church. And so the first time I went back to the temple, I came home, and I was pretty sad. I had some emotion about this being by myself for the rest of my life because um, I wrote about it in my journal and I remember I had actually forgot about it but when I went back and read about my experience and I remembered you know that I had been really sad um, and my sister she's pretty smart she took me back in a couple weeks and I had a really good experience I felt the spirit ask me so what's the desire of your heart and I didn't really have an answer for that, but I knew that that God loved me and that he was watching over me and that he wanted, you know, me to have the desires in my heart, which really gave me confidence in just going forward. Like, he's going he's gonna to take care of me. I knew that at that point. And so, you know, but I didn't think, anyway, so I'm just, you know, going along with being a good saint or trying to be a good saint, I guess, doing my duties. <laughs> um, raising my son and being around my family. And then I had this crazy experience. I had a flashback. And the reason I call it a flashback is because like when people die and they describe their life flashing before their eyes. Um, I I was walking, I was doing chores on Saturday one day, like three years after I went to the temple. And I was walking to my bedroom. And then just all of a sudden, I saw my growing up dating, like four different experiences that I had dating. And it wasn't like a movie. It was like I could understand what had happened and how I felt. And then a few years later, the next one, what happened and how I felt. And then a few years later, the next one. And then the next one, so I could see how I had evolved in my dating guy dating experience. 
And I was pretty tripped out about it. I thought about it very intensely for a few days. And then I kind of let it go. It's like, hmm, what does that mean? <laughs> because what I saw was that I had internalized, um, it's hard to describe. I, my experience is that I had internalized and how I interpreted those around my fears and my hopes and my disappointments and my lack of confidence definitely came in there um, in dating guys. And how I had kind of blocked off that side of my life. Um, so I think the thing that that told me was that I had options. Not like maybe I, I, they told me I wasn't born gay for sure. That was definitely, but I could have never understood that. Like I had done 10 years of therapy about all that. And that was never on my mind, but I could see it crystal clear. Like when you get to the end of the life, end of life, and you look back on your life and you have a perfect knowledge of everything that happened in your life, you will see that kind of stuff crystal clear. And I'm not saying it's that way for everyone. It's just that way for me. Like I thought I was completely gay for 25 years. And then I had this flashback thing and I'm like oh okay so maybe I should do something different and I've just been sitting with that and then I like the next year I went back and started writing about my life and trying to understand it and um, desiring more to share my story with others and and help um, parents understand this journey more and you know just those around me basically um, so I did some writing for about a year and then I got called as young women's president and I didn't write anymore. And then I moved to Utah and I've been writing more lately. So that's kind of where I bring, brings you up to where I am today. Doing a great job of telling your story, Lynette. Do you, with the writing, is that all just like personal journal or is that something you want to publish sometime? Um, I'm open. <laughs> I need That's to go great. back and go through my journals. I have like three boxes of journals. I've always been an avid journaler. So I need to go back and like, um, go through it at a different level because I really want to be able to tell my story, um, from the perspective of how I felt it when I was 25 or when I was in that darkness or, you know, kind of the, what gay life is really about, even though, um, and for me, at least how I experienced it and, and then coming back to the church and all that. So I still, if I were going to write something, I still have a lot of work to do, but I've just mostly been writing from my own understanding and, and, you know, just understanding my life. I love that you've been writing sometimes, um, I find when I write or sometimes when I'm counseling people, instead of giving them prescriptive counsel, I'll invite them to write and journal. And there's a, there's a, a therapy, I'm not clinically trained, that I think often writing our feelings down or writing options or writing leads to our mind getting pers better personal revelation and better understanding so I love that. And if you end up turning that into a book someday, you've got kind of all the 
notes there. So I think you've been um, following on your impressions. I love a couple things. I love um, where your bishop, as you came back, he could have made this all about repentance. <laughs> and he could have, you know, said, well, you know, you've been in a gay relationship, so let's talk about repentance and church discipline. And I'm maybe some of those discussions came up, but it seemed like he was trying to help you feel welcome and included and a way to feel like you belong. And I love that Bishop um, for working with you um, to help you feel like you belong. And there's a time and a place to talk about repentance and getting worthy to go to the temple. But often that doesn't need to come at the beginning. It can come after relationship of trust is established and a feeling that you're needed and you belong and maybe putting it to work in some way, which he tried to do, um, that maybe callings at first that didn't require a temple recommend like Cub Scouts, um, though eventually the callings that did. So I love that about your bishop. I love... I love what your stake president did. I think us men sometimes want to give answers to people we counsel with and be kind of certain or high level of certainty or certitude. But he, it seemed like he asked you questions about your sexual orientation that then allowed you to ponder on it and receive personal revelation versus saying something based on his feeling and sometimes priesthood leaders do have feelings and have inspiration from God, so I don't want to stop that. But often I love the way he just kind of empowered you with a question of, I think, you know, do you feel like your spirit's always been gay? And versus trying to answer that question for you, I think there's a really powerful principle of ministering there that allowed you to, over time, receive an answer to that. So I love many yeah. parts of this yeah. story. Go ahead. He actually made me a promise, too. He asked a question and made me a promise that I could understand it. I love that. So, he, I mean, made, he made he a was, promise. He was powerful. And it made a big yeah. impact on you, but he didn't answer the question for you. He, he made a promise uh -huh. to you that you'd get an answer. And I think, I think one of the core principles of our church is personal revelation. And I think the everything the church has been doing from, you know, church-centered to home-centered, um, it's sort of to give, make sure we're getting the very best personal revelation we can get. And I think we turn to our leaders and our family for advice and to help us make thoughtful questions and to have better information to get better personal revelation. But I love what he did. He trusted the process. He, know, he knew God well enough and he knew you well enough and God's love for you that he knew he could extend that promise for you and that you would get an answer. And I, you know, that to me is, you know, I don't know how you learned that, but I love what your stake president and your bishop did as part of your journey back into the church. And I love that. Yeah, they were both, they're both still great friends. They're good, good people. I love they made you a young women's president. Um, and they knew you, you know, had been in a same-sex relationship. I love the way they didn't somehow rule you out of that calling, um, thinking you would recruit people to that lifestyle or you would be a poor influence. Um, there's so many societal biases, I call it, you know, 
homophobia, um, just biases that some would say, well, we shouldn't call Lynette to be the young women's president because of her past or because she identifies as gay, um, especially in a, in a stewardship responsibility over young women. And I just love that somebody, some bishop along the line ruled that bias out to receive personal revelation about who should be the next young women's president in that ward and that you were called. Um, how did it make you feel to be called as young women's president? Here. <laughs> that's, that's honest. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I was already teaching the Laurel class, so and I enjoyed that a lot more, honestly. Um, it's a lot of responsibility, but, you know, I have good people, too. I picked a really good group to work with, and it was good. We did some good things. I had a um, transgender girl in my group, too, so, um, you know, it was interesting. She didn't come to church, though, so, but well, I still got, you know, I got to know, I had been getting to know her before, anyway, but. Yeah, I just, I love that that part of your story, and I'll bet you reached some, and I bet you were uniquely qualified to reach people. I, One of the stories in this book I'm releasing in September of 2020, it's gone to the publisher, it takes a long time, is Kurt Nielsen, um, a gay Latter-day Saint married to a woman active in the church, was the deacon's quorum instructor, and the bishop got an impression um, that Kirk was gay, and Kirk was going to come out to him, if I'm remembering this correctly. And the bishop's first impression was, I need to release him from being a deacon's quorum advisor if he's gay. And that was probably his internal homophobia, perhaps, or his bias. And then and Kirk talks about the spiritual impression the bishop got, being open to the Spirit, and says, no, that is exactly where Kirk is supposed to be. And I'm not going to release him just because of his sexual orientation. That obviously we understand in the churches doesn't change someone's standing in the church as long as you're living church teachings. But sometimes we our natural inclination is to release people um, that are gay from callings that involve serving with or for um, people of the same gender. And I think that's where we can improve as a church. And your ward did that already. Uh, talk about, do you feel you're gay at this point? If you just talk about your sexual orientation, do you feel you're straight? Do you feel you're bi? Do you feel you're gay? Or are you still trying to fig answer that question? And that would be probably not your spirit, just your mortal physical orientation. Well, if I go back to what the spirit asked me, what the desire of my heart is, that's kind of the question I've been answering myself for the last seven, eight years. And, um, you know, something that I can say with conviction is I love being a mom. You know, I've worked in the business world and I came to being a mom late. And so I was on the management track for a while and I, I love being a mom. So if I had to pick something I wanted to do for eternity, it would be being a mom what a, a great, lot of times. That's great. <laughs> and. You know, I I have a lot of my own thoughts about romance and sexuality now that I didn't have when I was 25 and what's fulfilling and um, what works for my growth versus, you know. So there's just, you know, 
I, I can't say I don't have any desire anymore to be with a woman sexually. That's a great answer. And I, I, I'm, I'm fine with your answer. I, um, I just reckon everybody, everybody's journey is a little different. And the more I'm in this, I, when I first stepped in this space, I thought every gay person had the same story. Um, but there's so much variety within um, everybody's individual stories that that's part of the beauty of getting to know more people that, you know, like you, Lynette. Um, and I recognize, as I've mentioned a couple of times, that I, I think the thing that gets most uncomfortable for almost every LGBTQ person that I've met is if someone takes their story and says, you ought to do a lot what Lynette does, or you ought to, you know, this ought to be your story. And I, some you've used the term weaponizing stories. And um, that's one of the goals of this podcast, hopefully, is not to weaponize stories, but to honor everybody's story and your story, since it's a pretty mature story at 58, I think is very helpful for younger people as they're, you know, first sort of coming to terms with their sexual orientation and looking for somebody like you that's been on this road a long time and can ga gather the perspective and the principles. So it's a wonderful story that you're sharing. Are there other things you'd like to share as, as we're coming closer to the hour mark that you'd like to share as part of your story? Well, just, you know, I've thought a lot about, you know, what could I say to my 25-year-old self or, or, you know, could I have done this whole process faster or, you know, I've gone through a lot of that thinking the last few years. And, you know, everyone has to have both their own integrity to their own life and process as well as a learning about spirituality and, and how to follow and be close to God, right? And those two things, it takes a lifetime to figure out, you know, where you need to give your will over to God. And it's not the same for everyone. We all have different places. Um, it just takes a long time to figure all these things out. And there's nothing wrong with the process. That's why we have this process, because we have to figure it out and make our choices. And I think God wants to give us what we want, ultimately. So, I don't know, I just think, I, and I do know people where I think, well, you know, you, maybe that's your eternal destiny. I don't know, I don't judge that or call that into question. It, you know, everyone's got to figure it out what their real story is. And I, I love that, right. Lynette. I love you want to be a mom. I think you're a really good mom. I love the way you want to be a mom for eternity and have this young man and future grandchildren part of you e eternally. And what a blessing that is. And um, I love that. I, You know, I... I also recognize, you know, a lot of people, I don't know how you'd answer this question. I don't know if you'd go back and redo your life differently um, if you were doing it all over again, or if you're very, or if you can really even answer that question, if you're just at peace, this is where I am and I'm happy where I am. And I've like all of everybody at age 58 has made some mistakes <laughs> and made some good choices and 
I recognize the mistakes are part of my mortal process to learn and grow and grow closer to my Heavenly Father and use the power of the Atonement of the Savior to heal me and help me. And I recognize that my life is what it is. And so I'm not trying to go back and say, I wish I'd done that differently or I regret that. Or Any thoughts on that? Um, what I say, it's kind of a, there's two sides to that coin. So yeah, I've gained, um, like I would say, oh, I would rather have skipped that dark time. But that dark time really taught me what it's like to be away from God. Not, you know, the things that I was doing so much, but just to be away from him and to be floundering, I guess, without him. And so you can't really give up the dark times. And, you know, I would say, yes, I wish I could have figured out if I wasn't born gay that I wasn't gay earlier so I could have had more kids or done more than, you know, I've done. But, you know, yeah, life life has its certain purposes and to be close to God is one of them. And I think make your choices about what you want by the end of your life. If you do those two things, you're you've accomplished what you needed to accomplish. Because then Christ can build you your mansion, right? He can make it how you want it. If you want it overlooking the ocean, then it'll be overlooking the ocean. That's kind of how I look at it. That's great, Lynette. I do. But think... I could, you know, I still have things I missed. I would like to, have, and I certainly wouldn't want it started in a crazy family. That was super hard. But, uh, you know. I love that. And I think if there's listeners that want to come back to the church but feel it's too late or too much time has passed, I think this is a great podcast. Um, it's sort of like the parable of the vineyard, the parable of the working vineyard. I'm not doing that right, listeners. Sorry about that. It's It's sort of like we get the same reward um, even if we are put to work later in the day versus earlier in the day. And I think that parable on a lot of levels, but I think one of the levels is it's never too late um, to come back. And I think Satan's greatest tool is shame. And and to say it's too late or too much time has passed or I've done too many, I've been gone too long and have been in the faraway land too long. And that's why I love the parable of the prodigal son who comes back and Christ doesn't, or heavenly father that represents that father and field doesn't shame, doesn't make that person grovel, but just loves that person and puts a ring on a finger and a coat to signify that person doesn't come back as anything but a son, even though that person coming back had self-concluded they'd be a servant. So, and I love where you admit that church was hard for a while, Annette. I think we sometimes have this storybook feeling that the first day at church, if we've been gone for a long time, will just be perfect. But I like that you wore pants. <laughs> I I like that you rec. I like that you tell our listeners, and you've been a return missionary, that coming back to church was hard. And so I think people, I think you're just honest and pretty genuine and authentic when you say that. And I love the way you handled church because you have this nuance where I, you could requote that, but you said, I'll take the things that work for me and I'll set the things that don't really resonate with me aside. 
And I'll just try to move forward knowing at the core, this is a good thing for me, even though everything on a day-to-day basis may not resonate. And I love that nuance. And maybe that came through your meditation or just your life maturity to be able to do that as you made this journey back into the church. So it's a remarkable story, Lynette, and so grateful for you being on the podcast. You're one of my new friends and and a hero to a lot of us for walking really complicated roads in the very best way you can and having good people around you. Do you have any concluding thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I would. I, I thought of one thing. So if you asked me, you know, I, I, if I had a desire on how to change my life, it would have been probably to speed up the process more. And the two things that could have done that were, one, my family being more accepting earlier, not accepting, but just ready to love me earlier and and embrace me and teach, not teach me, but be an example to me, but also love me. and um. And the other one is I stayed away from the church for fear of being excommunicated in large part. And I think what my personal opinion of, and I hope this is how it plays out, um, the changes that have been recently made are to take that off the table um, so that we can come back and experience the Spirit and let the Spirit work for us in our lives, however it's going to work for us. You know, we don't have to define someone else's spiritual journey, but just letting them have that journey. Um, I think that's something that I, if I could have come back earlier, it would have been that. But I wouldn't have feared um, losing losing my membership because for me, it was my testimony and my membership. I couldn't really tell the difference. It felt like to me, if I got excommunicated, that I would be my testimony would be taken away from me or invalidated or something. And um, that was a treasure to me. It was like my mainstay. God's love has always been my mainstay since I was little. And I don't know, That's those are the things. And I hope that, you know, more people can can come back and worship and and be integrated, that they'll reach their spiritual potential quicker or in, no matter what it looks like. That makes sense. It does. What a yeah, great. So I think you know, love and and not necessarily acceptance, but love. You know, Christ's love is what changes us. And however we're going to change, that's the only way it's going to happen, and for the better, hopefully, right? I love that, Lynette. I love you being honest that one of your fears of coming back was actually the BX communicate, and you're right. Um, we don't excommunicate people. I can't remember the new vocabulary, but um, we it's something just less ability to fully participate, um, church restrictions. And I love that you had a testimony of the church the whole time, so you're actually worried about being excommunicated. And I love that you're—I've always felt church discipline comes when a member sort of wants to fully return. It's part of the process for some to fully return. It's not the thing that starts, you know, the prodigal son was not faced with church discipline when he met his father out in the field. That was a time of love and support, a ring on a finger, a coat to welcome somebody back. And maybe the father and the son had an honest discussion about what happened in the faraway land. But that came later, um, once a feeling of trust, love, and belonging. So I'd love 
that that was not part of your the process for you and and I think we're maturing as a church to recognize that that doesn't need to happen that can happen often when a member except in the few required situations listed in the handbook but yours was not one of those that's required and so I just I think that's a process and I'm going to close with just this section from the book that I'm writing, I just pulled it up and it's a tweet from Harper Don Forsgren um, who tweeted one day, we as members of the church need to stop focusing on, we need to love people because our love will bring them back to the church and instead focus on, we need to love people because they deserve to be loved. And then I've written here in the book, love with no agenda is the kind of love that keeps friendship and families together. In my experience, people on the receiving side of this love are the are the most likely to open up if their feelings change or if they need help. So Lynette um, Bako, you are awesome. I'm going to spell your name again for our listeners. L-I-N-N-E-T-T-E-B-A-K-O-W. Um, thank you for having the courage to share some of your journey. You're a wonderful guest and a wonderful woman. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. 